the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Franz. Alrighty then, good morning, thanks for joining us. We are underway at 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on a Thursday, the 27th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Really appreciate you being with us. We've got a nice show lined up for you in an hour at 10.10-ish. We're going to be talking with Dr. Everett Piper. The culture wars rage on. New battlefronts every single day. We need leadership. Dr. Piper provides much of that leadership, and he will be with us at 10.10 on a host of issues. At 10.35, so it's a packed 10 o'clock hour. We're free in the first hour. We're free in the second. But at 10.35, I think you're going to enjoy this, as we hear for the first time in some time, uh, from our good friend, the sage himself, and presidential candidate, Lawrence Elder. Can you dig it? Sage of South Central is running for president, and Larry Elder will join us to talk about that and what it looks like and how it will all uh, is expected to play out. We'll phrase it that way. So uh, Larry Elder will join us from Southern California at uh, 
at 10.35 this morning. So there you have it. we got Dr. Piper, we've got Larry Elder, and we've got plenty of time in the first and third hours for you. Your phone number is 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. If you haven't saved that in your phone yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. It uh, just makes it easier, so I don't have to give it all the time. You just have it. When it's ready to call, you just beep, touch Bob or WHK or answer or something, and uh, and away we go. So save that number, 216-901-0945. Now, before we get started with our top story of the day, which is the breaking of the silence of one Tucker Carlson, a two-minute and 15-second video that he recorded and uploaded to his website and his social medias yesterday. Uh, going to share that. Going to break it down and talk about what it means. Going to talk about the death of free speech in America state by state, this time Minnesota. And we're going to talk about the ongoing attempt to transition an entire generation. Generation Z is under severe attack by an LGBTQ movement that is attempting to transition and almost neuter by creating infertility among and a generation of kids. Uh, I've got a lot of stories and a lot of audio to share with you on that. But before we do it all, let's rise. Patriots, face your flag. Put your hand on your heart. Join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you actually do not believe in freedom of speech, and if you do not believe that minors should be allowed to be minors, and that minors cannot give consent to life-altering and life-destroying procedures, then you don't understand that flag. You don't understand what true liberty is, and you are therefore exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, you can go ahead and take a knee over there next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, however... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So about 72 hours of news cycle had passed, maybe a little bit less. Uh, from the time the world learned that Fox News was releasing its top talent, its highest rated talent, the highest earner on the network, the highest revenue generator on the network, for reasons that remain unknown. Uh, a little bit less than 72 hours passed before Tucker, Tucker Carlson broke his silence. He did so by way of a 2-minute and 15-second video that, again, he uploaded to his uh, website at TuckerCarlson.com and then also to his social media. Let's see what Tucker had to say. Good evening, it's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's gotta be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. 
Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. And there it is. That's what we got from Tucker Carlson uh, on a video recorded yesterday and released uh, yesterday evening. Um, The closing line is the money line. The closing line is the money line. The closing two lines, actually. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. I guess it would be three lines. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. And I think it's very obvious what he was stating. I think it was very obvious that he was clearly speaking of his former employer in some of the lines in the in the middle of that, uh, as he talked about um, uh, the moment being in, too inherently ridiculous to continue, so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive, clearly, He is talking about his former bosses. They're afraid, he said. They've given up persuasion and resorted to force, forcing him out of his his, uh, primetime 8 p.m. highly rated seat, uh, and do so without embarrassment. At the same time, the liars who have been trying to silence the voices shrink and become weaker. However, that's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. And I concur with that line, too, because the one thing that the left hated about Tucker Carlson is that he spoke truth. Now, they, of course, the way they tried to diminish it was to say he's lying. He's he's a liar, and he's defending lies. He's a conspiracy theorist. But if you go back and look at all of the shows that he has done and the, you know, if, if you were to try to, you know, uh, sort them out or or divide them into topics if you looked at all of the things that they called conspiratorial all of the things that they they criticize saying there's no proof of that there's no evidence of that tucker carlson is making things up he's telling lies if you put them all together and you were to do some sort of a you know a spreadsheet if you will of all of the topics the most important topics that they called conspiratorial as time went on over the course of his reign in uh, on fox news he was proven right he was proven right about January 6th, once we got the videos. He was proven right about Ukraine once we got some leaks. He was proven right about COVID uh, shots and their dangers. He was proven right on the most important things. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. If I wanted to, and I'm not going to spend the entire uh, uh, hour on uh, on Tucker Carlson here, but I do want to share this because I posted it myself <clears throat> Yesterday, I don't can't remember where I found it. Uh, it's social media. Things get shared. It's just the way it goes. But I posted this, and I found it to be very, very interesting because it's true. There's, there's a checklist here. Who was right about the following issues? Journalists versus conspiracy theorists, of which Tucker Carlson was accused 
of being a conspiracy theorist. But as the evidence, as time goes on, because time usually reveals truth, that's what Tucker meant in, in, in that money line at the end. Truth matters. And as long as there are a few places for you to find the truth and to hear those words, uh, that's enough. You just have to know where to look, and you have to be willing to, to seek it out. But at any rate, the point that they called Tucker Carlson a conspiracy theorist for all of these years, who was right on these issues? Journalists who are not saddled with the uh, pejorative of conspiracy theorists. These are, the, uh, these are the people doing the great work of the press, these journalists. Who was right? On the issue of Hunter's laptop, journalists who said it was fake or conspiracy theorists who said that Hunter Hunter Biden uh, was committing a wide variety of crimes with the knowledge of Joe Biden and other Biden family members. Um, Checkmark conspiracy theorists, because those are not actually conspiracy theorists, just what we're called, what we're, what we're accused of being. But these are people with common sense and the, 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 uh, the uh, courage to state the reality of the situation. Uh, on the vaccines being harmful, journalists or conspiracy theorists? Check. Plandemic, the journalist or the conspiracy theorist? Check. Lockdowns being harmful and unnecessary, journalists who supported them or conspiracy theorists? Check. Ivermectin as a treatment for COVID, journalists said, no, 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 that's terrible. Jur- uh, conspiracy theorists? Check. HCQ, that's hydroxychloroquine. Journalists? Versus conspiracy theorists. Check. All of these checks are, of course, in the conspiracy theorist column. Uh, that face masks were not helpful. They were useless. Journalists said, yes, they are. They're, they're helpful. Conspiracy theorists. Check. And we say all of these things again because of the passage of time and the revelations we have gotten. When even the CDC admits that, no, the face masks don't work. Uh, this was largely a... Um, you know, a, a, a psyop, if you will. It was a, an attempt to get people to comply, to wear those things because they were told to, but then also to make some people who are just terrified because of the fear-mongering campaign, you know, and it was successful, that they put those things on because it made them feel like they might work. You know, that's what that was. We're going to Twitter censorship, Epstein Island, Ukraine biolabs, child trafficking from the border, Russiagate, fake steel dossier, and you could this list could go on, but it's just checks all the way down. Everybody, ah, you're a conspiracy theorist if you believe in all of those things. No, uh, we were we were people giving spoiler alerts. We saw it coming. We knew what was happening, and only time uh, was going to make that true for you. So time has passed, and now we know exactly what was going on there. Tucker Carlson was not a conspiracy theorist. He was also giving spoiler alerts. He was telling people the truth that they did not want to hear, they did not want to know, and most importantly, that his corporate bosses did not want shared. Why? Because they are the true power brokers behind so much of what is happening in this country. And when you put people like Paul Ryan on the board of Fox News, and, uh, you know, Fox News, just like so many others, just like, I don't want to say they're identical to CNN, they're not identical to MSNBC, but obviously they're all in the same room. And when they want to take away your right to speak, it's not just because they don't, want, they don't like what you're saying, it's because they're afraid of what you're saying. And that's what happened to Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson, as you heard in that, that video, is not going to be cowed, he is not going to be silenced. 
the little wink and a little nod at the end when he said, see you soon, let you know he is coming, and when he comes back, it will be with a vengeance. All right, 923, quick time out. we got a lot to talk about in this hour. We are guest-free until Dr. Piper at 1010. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the ongoing assault on free speech, literally, state by state, in one state, If you argue and make a claim that COVID came from China, you know, from the Wuhan lab where COVID originated, you could end up on a state's bias registry. According to a new bill working its way through that state legislature, you could end up on the government list of biased individuals. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you about that. And then we're going to talk about the transing of Gen Z also. Right here, Always Right Radio continues. Before the bottom of the hour, so when I was teasing, the state is Minnesota. And state by state, step by step, the radical left is trying to silence not only your words, but now apparently even your thoughts. Uh, the First Amendment is in serious peril. I tell, I've been telling you this ever since I joined up with uh, Citizens for Free Speech three years ago, and I continue to encourage you to join Citizens for Free Speech. Become a member at uh, citizensforfreespeech.org. But anyway. Minnesota State Representative Harry Niska, a Republican, asked during a debate on a new bill whether praising Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling or arguing that COVID originated in China would qualify as biased speech that would put citizens on a government database of, uh, or otherwise known as a bias registry. And the answer is apparently yes. Minnesota lawmakers are considering a change to state law, House File 181 that would log alleged bias incidents, even if they're not considered a crime. The bill was introduced in January. It would allow people to report perceived bias-related incidents, such as slurs and verbal attacks, alleged slurs and alleged verbal attacks that fall outside of the hate crimes that are compiled annually by the state. So if it isn't quite enough, you know, that they're monitoring your words and calling your words hate crimes, if they don't quite rise to the level of hate crime, they still want to put you on the list by calling them bias crimes. Republican State Representative Walter Hudson in Minnesota uh, said that this poses a huge threat to freedom of speech and religious freedom as well. For example, quote, well, what he said was, quote, it seems very clear based on their focus on motivation, they're more concerned about what's going on inside of people's heads, which is protected speech, and that's thought crime. An exchange between the Republican Niska and Democrat State Representative Samantha Van uh, pointed out several hypotheticals about the question, quote, if a Minnesotan writes an article claiming or arguing that COVID-19 is a Chinese bioweapon that leaked from a lab in Wuhan, and someone reports that article to the, to the Department of Human Rights, is that something that the Department of Human Rights should put in their bias registry under your bill? And Samantha Vang def- uh, 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 responded that while not all incidents are considered violent or criminal, that sort of rhetoric is bias-motivated, and therefore it would be considered a bias incident. Think about that just for a moment. The J.K. Rowling thing, if you don't know, the Harry Potter author, J.K. Rowling is very, very much uh, a leftist, but she is also absolutely opposed to the massive trans movement, and she has stated a lot of things. So uh, 
question two was, if a Minnesotan is wearing a T-shirt that says, I love J.K. Rowling, and someone sees that and reports them to the uh, the Department of Human Rights as an example of gender identity or gender expression bias, would the department put that in the bias database? And the Democrat Vang said, this question would be better answered by lawyers, and I'm not going to say yes or no to that question. How do you not say no to that question immediately unless you are trying to silence not only what people up in that far, far, far left Marxist state of Minnesota says, people what people say, but now you're going to do that based on what people think. You're going to assume that you know what they mean or what they're thinking by what they're saying. It is simply inconceivable. This cannot happen in a free state. It cannot happen in a free country. We were once a free country. I wonder whether or not that will continue. We'll be back. Delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. Okay, 937. Thanks for being with us this morning on Always Right Radio. If you want to dial in, uh, we'll get you up uh, this hour at 216-901-0945. But I do have some things I want to share with you. Um, the transing of this young generation, Gen Z, uh, is obviously one of the lead stories, if not maybe the most defining struggle at the moment uh, in our country. And I've got a few uh, updates that, that need to be shared here. The first one is uh, from Florida, from South Florida particularly. Dwayne Wade, you may or may not, if you're a basketball fan, know who he is. He's a NBA Hall of Famer. He won championships, played with LeBron James in Miami and so forth. And he has left the state of Florida as his home. You know, They renamed Dade County, not officially, of course, but they have signs up saying, Welcome to Wade County uh, down in South Florida, just as a you know, kind of an homage to, to Dwayne Wade and his success with the Heat. He don't, no longer lives there. The reason why, he's got a gay son. His gay son decided he wasn't just gay, he was a woman, or a girl, anyway. He transitioned um, to the extent that anybody can transition, which is to say, you know, again, a facade, to put on a different, uh, a different makeup, even if there are uh, physical surgeries that are performed, they are all cosmetic. They, there is no way to change someone's cells and someone's DNA to make them male to female or female to male. That's just the reality of it, but many don't believe in that, as you know so. Dwayne Wade told Rachel Nichols in an interview on a program called Headliners that his family no longer lives in Florida over fears that he and his family, quote, would not feel comfortable there. And this, of course, is a reaction to uh, Florida being one of the leaders under Governor Ron DeSantis in trying to stop the ongoing in-your-face trans movement that harms children uh, a million different ways from Sunday. He said it had something to do with the legislation that bans school employees from giving classroom instruction on sexual orientation or, se- or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. That was the original bill in Florida that set Disney off and set a whole lot of the other left-wingers off. That has since been expanded, by the way, through 12th grade, that there is no reason why teachers should be talking to kids about their personalities and their lifestyle choices and trying to push those things on, on, on kids, whether they're in preschool or whether they're in, uh, in 12th grade. At any rate, Wade's 15-year-old son, uh, now named Zaya, I guess, I don't know if Zaya was the original name or not, came out as, or in other words, expressed a desire to be a girl, uh, and uh, is now referred to by uh, 
Dwayne Wade, the dad, as a girl. Um, the former NBA, NBA star Dwayne Wade fought and won in Los Angeles court to legally choke, it is a change name, and to change uh, Zaya's gender despite objections from his biological mother. Mom did not want to do this. Mom knew the reality. This is my son, not my daughter. We have to help my son through this confusing period of time or whatever. Dwayne Wade uh, would have none of it. Quote, that's another reason I don't live in that state. A lot of people don't know that. I have to make decisions for my family, not just personal uh, individual decisions, but for my family. Uh, having Wade County is great, but my family would not be accepted or feel comfortable there. That's one of the reasons I don't live there. Wade's ex-wife, whose name I can't even begin to pronounce, uh, had prevented Zaya from receiving an updated birth certificate, but the NBA legend said it was in his daughter's best interest. The petition is empowering Zaya to live her truth, he said, um, in a November court document. Zaya has identified as female since age 12. That's a perfect age to let somebody make such an incredibly drastic decision in their life, Dwayne. Anyway, a court of, or court order affirming her identity, as he says it, uh, or excuse me, as reported, uh, will allow Zaya to live more comfortably and honestly in all aspects of her life, from simple introductions and food orders to applying for a driver's license and filling out college applications, etc., etc., etc. Okay. Now, why is that story important? That story is important because Lord only knows what led uh, Dwayne Wade's son to taking such a drastic action. As evidence of that, I share this from another celebrity. Zuby is a rapper from the UK. He's one of the most popular follows on all of Twitter. He's got a million followers on Twitter. He's a rapper, an author, an international speaker, and the host of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. He's African American. Most rappers are. Um, and Zuby is one of the most outspoken opponents of this transing of Generation Z, the kids of today, um, that you will hear outside of Matt Walsh and outside of, uh, you know, precious few others, I mean, honestly, myself included. Zuby has been all over this and has been making enemies by telling the truth about what, uh, you know, what you can do, again, cosmetically to some to a person, but you cannot change their DNA, you cannot change their cells, you cannot change their chromosomes. Um, but he's been outspoken about it, and, and just three days ago, Zuby um, posted something on his Twitter that really struck a chord with a lot of people. I found this through Jonathan Broadbent, by the way, who is one of the leaders of uh, Protecting Ohio Children North. And um, I was blown away by it because it is so sad, and it is so important that we hear. So I'm going to read it to you. It is so important because this is what happens. This is what their agenda is to tearing apart American families. Zuby posted the following three days ago, on uh, well, two days ago, technically, on the 25th. Quote, this is a message I received from a follower today, must read for parents, and shared with permission. You have no idea how deep the trans community preyed on children throughout the pandemic. I am dealing with it firsthand. Our daughter playing what I thought was a kid's game, Roblox, that was filled with child predators. 
We pulled her away from it when she mentioned non-binary. She's okay now. Our son ventured around our account restrictions and onto Reddit. As he fell into deep depression from the lockdowns, he then fell even deeper into the Reddit trans-activist community, or as I call it, the child predator community. Our best efforts to get him out of this for almost three years has led to the deterioration of our relationship. He now thinks he's a trans girl named, and then they redacted that. He thinks he's a trans girl we will, and will no longer speak to us because we rightfully won't put him on hormones. After he referred to me as a Nazi last week in support of trans genocide, I find it impossible to even communicate with him. They have him. Please keep doing what you're doing, this message went to Zuby. Please keep doing what you're doing. You may save somebody's kid from this situation. I have no idea what to do with a remarkably bright kid who once had realistic ambitions of being an astrophysicist. His name is, that was redacted, and I love him. End quote. If that didn't put a little lump in your throat or maybe make your hair stand on end, uh, the hair on the back of your neck, I, I, I don't know. If you didn't have a visceral, physical reaction to hearing that, then something's wrong here. Because this is exactly what we have been fearful of. What they are doing to kids with this recruitment of of you know, into the trans lifestyle, into the alternate identity lifestyle, into the gender ideology. What they are doing to kids, they are now doing to families. Destroying them. They're destroying kids, and they're destroying kids' relationships with their families. Stories like this one are the reason why in radical far-left Washington state, They have a new law there that says if your kid runs away from home because they don't like you and the fact that you won't put them on hormones or schedule them for surgeries or acknowledge their new names and pronouns, if your kid runs away from home, the state of Washington will not tell you where they are. They will keep them as wards of the state. They will put them in foster family homes or in group homes where they can be affirmed. Parents have lost control in that state of their actual families and their own children. This is what they're doing. So I take that story, which again should really, imp- I mean, the, the, the three words that really grabbed me the most from that message to Zuby, who's been very outspoken in support of families and kids and getting them psychological assistance if they're dealing with this sort of thing, or if they're being recruited, they're being groomed, they're being uh, indoctrinated. The three words in that message that spoke to me the loudest were, quote, they have him. They have him. They've, it, it's, it's kind of cultish, isn't it? It's kind of an LGBTQ cult. They work on these kids. They prey on their sensitivities. They find what triggers they have. They push those buttons, and they tell them that everything will be better if you join us. Do this with us. I mean, honestly, they have him. It just, it just it sends chills up my spine. It really does.
And you know what? They could have your kids too. They could. They can pull them in. And you might not even know that they're having these conversations unless you are able to follow their keystrokes on their phones to get into their conversations on social media and places like Reddit or any of these other bizarre places like Roblox and so forth. You might not even know that you're losing them. You might not even know that they are working toward changing their pronouns and different names. School teachers and administrators and counselors won't tell you. You might not have any idea you're losing your child. And this is their goal. So let me move from that to this. This is a video that contains um, the testimonies of several older teens and young adults who were allowed to pursue this bizarre transitioning or this pseudo-transitioning from male to female or female to male or to non-binary or whatever. This is these young people who, who were taken in by this cult talking about how easy it was for them to get started because the regulation of the medical profession when it comes to this transing of America's youth is non-existent. All it takes is one therapist or one counselor to say, yeah, I think you're ready. Here you go. Here are the drugs. I want you to listen to their lament of what was done to them when they were too young to know any better themselves and were counting on the adults to do what is right, counting on the adults in their lives, the parents, the teachers, the coaches, the counselors, counting on them to help them rather than to enable them, provide them true assistance in getting the help they need, rather than enable their delusions and their fantasies and the expansion of their personalities, because largely that's what this whole thing is. It's a personality disorder. But listen to these kids as they lament this. Now, uh, memo to Josh in the control room. I have listened to this. I'm 99.99999% sure there is no profanity, but beware as we listen. By the time I was 17 years old, testosterone was being injected into my anorexic body. This was after a single appointment with a WPATH certified therapist who asked me a few questions and told me that I was a boy. These vague questions included things like, do you dislike your period? Do you get along better with boys? I went to a Planned Parenthood a few weeks after my 18th birthday. None of the clinicians were interested in what was behind my desperation to change my body. They told me that because I seemed so sure they would prescribe the hormones that day. I had seeked assistance through my local LGBT center, and on my first appointment I was immediately affirmed as a transgender woman. When I asked her uh, why was I affirmed so quickly, she said she did not want to gatekeep me, and she had my letter to transition right away. So when I was 19, I went to an informed consent clinic which basically means you just walk in and you say you're trans and you want cross-sex hormones, testosterone. And they gave me a free prescription of testosterone that day, even though I told them all these lists of, you know, being suicidal, all this. um, They just gave me a very high dose of testosterone. Pretty much had no checks and balances. They just gave me the prescription and that's it. Went to Fenway House in Boston was able to get on hormones rather quickly. I ended up getting uh, facial feminization surgery. And shortly after that, I got approved for 
sex reassignment surgery. There was absolutely no pushback by therapists. They completely like ignored comorbidities I had. I have internalized homophobia. They completely didn't even push back at all. They said they affirmed me, you know, and gave me letters for the surgeries. When I turned 18, I learned that I could obtain testosterone through informed consent. And in my experience talking to them, they kind of downplayed the risks. They really sort of focused more on the aesthetic changes that I will go through. I went to Planned Parenthood like a week later. I basically walked in. I said, hi, I think I'm trans. They said, great, we're going to diagnose you with gender dysphoria, and here's your prescription for testosterone. You can get it the very next day. And I said, great. I didn't actually realize in my head what a huge fucking red flag Oops, this was. There was one. My apologies. I thought I had all of the bleeps out of there. Thank you, Josh. So we'll pause it there because I think for those who are listening... Over the air, you get the idea. There was about another 30 seconds for that video. And um, what you're hearing is the truth of the trans movement. There are two things in the transing of Gen Z, the transing of America's youth today. There are true truth, two truths, two, two um, I think, driving forces here behind this. Number one, as I said earlier, is the destruction of the American family. These types of decisions generally will split families up and cause problems like the ones that I described with the Wade family and with uh, Zub, the, the letter to Zuby that I, that I shared with you. And the other one, of course, is the always evil driving motive of profit. Why do you think all of those therapists, why do you think all of those Planned Parenthood clinics, why do you think all of those medical providers that you just heard, those sad people lamenting what was done to them in their most vulnerable times in their young lives, why do you think they all had the same answer? Yes, absolutely. Here, we can write you a prescription right now. We can get you scheduled for surgeries right now. Um, you, oh, you seem pretty sure. So we don't have to, we don't have to conduct massive long psychotherapy sessions to see where your feelings are coming from. If you say you really feel trans, let's go. Why? Because they get paid enormous dollars. Because I promise you that most Probably 99% of health insurance policies that any parents have on these kids are not going to cover sex reassignment surgeries. They're not going to be covered. They're not going to, these, these hormones aren't going to be covered either. So all of this money is going to be coming out of pocket. And these, these doctors, these nurses, or I can't even call them doctors and nurses. Doctors do no harm. First, do no harm. That's the Hippocratic Oath, no matter how much they want to change that. But they are concerned more with making money and experimentation, and like I said, those who are pushing this in the LGBT community with destroying the American family to strengthen their ranks, to fortify their ranks, than they are about the mental health of these kids. I have so much more. I wish I had more time. But this is the defining struggle right now in this country, this issue, and we're going we're gonna to continue to address it every single day. It's 9.55. We'll be back. You may have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France. 
1420. The answer. Hour number two now underway, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. We'll come back to that conversation, I promise you. We have to. It is, uh, it is just heartbreaking what is happening to so many of these families uh, because of the uh, intentions of uh, some of these groups that we are, we are discussing. We'll get back to that, but I want to uh, welcome to our program now our regular Thursday commentator as we move into Hour 2 on this 27th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2023. Dr. Everett Piper is a county commissioner in Oklahoma. He is a best-selling author. He is a past university president. He is uh, also a weekly columnist with the Washington Times. He hosts a podcast called The Rebellion, and you can follow him on Twitter at DrEverettPiper.com, DrEverettPiper.com. Good morning, Dr. Piper. Good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I hope you're doing well out your way, too. We are as well. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Piper. Before we get into your column from the Times this past week, I want to uh, uh, just get your thoughts, because I saw you tweeted uh, uh, a little uh, a little homage, if you will, to Tucker Carlson. Everybody who's working in uh, conservative media right now, well, really all media has a, a viewpoint on what happened with Tucker and Fox, and I saw your tweet that you were honored now more than ever to have been on this man's show. What do you mean by that? Well, I was blessed a couple of years back when I wrote an article for the Washington Times that was titled Teach Lechery and Get Lectures, where I was very critical of the public school system. And basically, we're getting what we deserve because we've been teaching narcissism. Why are we surprised to get a bunch of narcissists? We've been teaching sexual nihilism. Why are we surprised to get a bunch of sexual nihilists that are now graduating from our schools and and uh, basically doubling down on their misogyny and their use and abuse of women in, in in the corporation, in the college, in the university. So I basically called my industry, education, to task and said, you know, we're teaching this garbage, and therefore we've got garbage. The Me Too movement with Matt Lauer and Harvey Weinstein and whatnot is predictable as the sunrise because we taught these guys when they were young boys uh, it was more important to know how to use a condom than to practice the Ten Commandments. So anyway, I went on Tucker's show, show because I was invited to say what I just said on your show, and Tucker's a good man. Um, I met him once before, Bob, at an event down in Florida. actually had the opportunity to kind of host him in the green room as he and the Fox team waited to go on stage at a fundraising event down there. And I remember this is a maybe a story that tells people who this guy is. He wasn't pretentious. He had, wasn't standoffish. I mean, he didn't have to give me any time, and I was trying to leave him alone. But it was clear that he was open to talking, so I asked him while we were sitting around waiting to, for the event to take place, I said, how long do you take in preparation for your shows? How much time do you dedicate to, to just one show? He said, eight hours. I said, really? You spend eight hours planning for one show? He said, yep. A few years ago, I had a guest on, and he got the best of me. I, I really think he won the debate on my show. And I determined at that point in time, I'll never let that happen again. So I want to prepare. I want to be very well informed. I want to know what's going on before I bring a guest on the show. And I think we all recognize that. Almost every program you watch with Tucker Carlson, he's well informed. He is very good and very talented at what he does. Um, You may disagree or you may agree with a given point. I know Ben Shapiro disagrees with Tucker's view of government getting involved in business, for example. But Tucker's nobody's patsy. He's well prepared. He's he's read up. He knows why he's going to say what he's going to say, and he knows how to counter your argument, too. I really respect the man. Um, and here's another, and I'll be quiet. He and Don Lemon get 
fired on the same day. Look at the two uh, personalities, the two value systems, the two worldviews that these guys represent. Don Lemon immediately starts unleashing negative uh, vitriol on Twitter against uh, his former employers at, at CNN. Tucker Carlson has not done that. He's taken the high road. He's a man of character and integrity. The video that he put out talks more about the importance of freedom of expression and um, intellectual freedom and uh, free press and the importance of pursuing truth. That's what's important to him as opposed to pointing fingers at those people that apparently disagreed with him. Yeah, very well said. And, uh, of course, the very end of that uh, video that he sent out, he said, see you soon. Where do you think he's going to land? Do you think he'll go to another conservative existing outlet like Newsmax? Or do you think he, you know, he's got... He's got the the name recognition, the brand power, and the money to start his own uh, his own entity if he wanted to, his own streaming network like uh, some of the others. What do you think he's going to do? Oh, I have no idea other than you know as well as I do. Glenn Beck has invited him to join the Blaze. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Heritage Foundation said, we've got a job for you. I'm not sure either, Glenn. I don't know if anybody can afford to pay him his $20 million per year contract that he had with Fox. So I... And Megyn Kelly has suggested that he can make a lot of money uh, in in the the world that she's chosen to mm-hmm. be a part of right now via his own podcast and whatnot. Um, yeah, who knows? I, it, wouldn't it be great though if these if these people that we've learned to trust, like Megyn Kelly, and again I don't agree with her on some, but I trust her. I think she's honest. Tucker Carlson, uh, Glenn Beck. Uh, wouldn't it be Ben Shapiro, Dennis Prager, wouldn't it be great if they would actually start their own network and join forces to give us some news that's actually meaningful rather than something that's just garbage that's being regurgitated by the elite? Well, I agree with most of what you just said except for the Dennis Prager part. Stop trying to recruit him to a new network. He's ours. Okay, he's staying on Salem. (laughs) (laughs) You don't get to take Dennis from us. But everything else you just said is well said. I just I'm bragging. My my son just went to work for Prager out at Prager U. So really? uh, they just traveled. Yeah, he's now on the staff on the team out there for Prager University. That's fantastic. Good for him. Good for him. That's awesome yeah. to hear. Okay, let's move on from Tucker and let's talk about a couple of other important things. I want to read a quote here that you actually shared. This is from one of one of uh, the the your former students uh, from uh, from Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And I want you to respond to it. Quote, this is she is the National Teacher of the Year, apparently, Rebecca Peterson is. And uh, in remarks she gave, I don't know where, she said, We are fueled by the equalizing power of public education to dismantle marginalization, eliminate systemic inequalities. I'm sorry, inequities. Big difference there. Systemic inequities and generational poverty. And I know you had a response to that. Well, first of all, I know Rebecca very well. She was one of my students at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Um, she's a teacher, a math teacher in Tulsa, and she was honored to be selected as National Teacher of the Year. This is a huge honor. Mm-hmm. So these words that you just cited were part of her speech at the Rose Garden this past Tuesday when Joe Biden and his wife Jill honored Rebecca as the Teacher of the Year. Uh, Rebecca's a good person, but I think this quote just demonstrates how corrosive our educational community is right now, that she can come out of a school like Oklahoma Wesleyan that focuses on the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom, a school that was proud of capitalism, free enterprise, and constitutional liberty as opposed to socialism, communism, and government control. I mean, she came out of that environment, and she enters into the swamp of public education and she gets drenched in this putrid water where she's actually saying this kind of stuff i mean 
everybody's ears should perk up that's listening to this show right now when we talk about equalizing power and dismantling marginalization and eliminating systemic inequities. Uh, I mean, this is Marcusean. This is Marcusean neo-Marxism. This, this phrase could have been taken from Black Lives Matter's uh, manifesto. I mean, it's, it's the parroting of the same language, the same garbage. So rather than talking about marginalization, you're a math teacher. Why don't you talk about mathematics? If you're going to elevate the discussion of education, why don't you talk about teaching our kids reading and writing arithmetic and maybe that the Constitution is a good thing and not a bad thing and that America is an exceptional nation rather than one to be despised and deconstructed and torn down and built in the image of, uh, of the Frankfurt School of Economics. I mean, I, I was disappointed that she parroted this nonsense. And then Joe Biden, check this one out. Joe Biden says he's quoting her when he speaks. He says, as Rebecca has said, there's no such thing as someone else's child. Well, I, I, did Rebecca really say that? If you go back and look at her speech, no, she didn't say that. So either Biden is lying or that's a private conversation he had with her before they came out on stage. But I've got news for everybody listening. There is such a thing as someone else's child. My child, my son is my son. He's not yours. He's not the government's. He's not the public schools. He's mine. And if you're going to teach him garbage when he's 14, 15, 16 years of age or younger, I'm going to tell you to stop because he's not yours. So this claim that there's no such thing as someone else's child, plus this other Marxist language that was parroted in Rebecca's speech, really causes me concern. And if I'm going to criticize others, then I need to be willing to criticize my own. So I'm not trying to do her dirt. She's a good person, and she is an excellent teacher. But, oh, my, why parrot this Marxist pablum? Why not talk about good education? Well, that Marxist pablum is what they believe in, and I'm talking about what Biden said when he uh, either paraphrased her or, or misquoted her or whatever, because we can all go back to when Hillary Clinton ran for president and declared that children are uh, not belonging to the, the parents, but to the to the community, that it takes a village to raise a child, not a parent or parents, but a village to raise a child. And just this past October, um, Kamala Harris uh, reiterated the same message, quote, when you see our kids, and I truly believe they are our our children, they are children of our country, our communities. The future is really bright if we prioritize them. These are not the community's kids. These are not Joe Biden's kids. These are not the state's kids. These are my kids. I raise them in the manner I see fit with my values, my morals, uh, my my life lessons. Uh, and, and if there's something that they're missing that I can't provide, such as algebra or such as uh, some of the things that we re- rely on our public teachers to do, our government teachers, if you will, to do, then fine. I'll outsource that to them, but only that. The things that I can't provide, I will ask others to provide for me, and those are the formal education in the in the subject uh, subjects that, of course, we have always relied upon these teachers to uh, to instruct our kids. The idea that they are theirs to raise, or that they have just as much say or more so than we do in how our kids are raised, Doctor Piper, that's their worldview, and um, it's sad to say, it sounds like your former student kind of has adopted that. Well, the language she used in her acceptance speech is critical theory language, marginalization, uh, systemic inequities, uh, 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 equalizing power. Those are are words she used. I went back and listened to her speech. That is a quote from her. And maybe she's naive or maybe she's bought the lie, but I don't care. It's, It's bad thinking. It's not pursuing truth. It's actually pursuing power because critical theory is about redistribution, not only of wealth, 
but the redistribution of power so that you can have equity and you basically can be a society of the grand and glorious participation trophy because it doesn't matter how you perform. It just matters that you show up, that you exist, that you participate. And then we're going to redistribute everything in our culture so that it's all equitable. That's Mm -hmm. what she was talking about. My land, just talk about mathematics and why you're a great teacher in teaching stuff, stuff that really matters rather than buying this political garbage and parroting that. When you had an opportunity in the grand and the, the best platform that you'll probably ever have in your entire career to elevate the pursuit of truth, you actually started talking about political correctness and critical theory. Right. Very well said. Dr. Piper, I don't recall, have we talked about the uh, Washington State bill that says the state doesn't have to give the kids back if they run away? Um, I I wrote about it last week, but yeah, and it's California too. California is taking the children away because if they want to transition, they don't have to tell parents about it. And that bill in Washington, the same thing, they're saying that the child doesn't belong to the parent, that the child can end up at a quote-unquote host home, which is basically kidnapping the child and not letting the parents know where the kid is while they butcher the child by castrating him or a girl having a mastectomy or a hysterectomy. This is really happening. This it just underscores the statement that these are our children. These are the community's children. And if you, mom and dad, don't do what the community or we, as the leaders or directors of the community, want to have done, then we will take them and do it ourselves. That is literally what is happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every despot in history has said, I mean, Hitler said, let me control the textbooks, I'll control the state. That's his way of saying, I, I want the kids. I'll control the minds and souls of these kids. They're not yours, they're mine. And then we know that Pol Pot, we know that Mao, the Cultural Revolution in Red China, what was that all about? Controlling the minds of the youth. And then, then, then you get the youth to do your bidding and, 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 um, and run, run the streets uh, like the Cultural Revolution kids did and intimidate thinking adults into compliance and subservience. I mean, that's what's going on in Chicago right now. So there's some of these riots, and it all goes back to schools, and it all, all goes back to the ideas that we're teaching our kids. Very, so, very, very uh, yeah, true. anyway. Let me let me jump in here so we can get our time out here. We want to come back. We're going to go from the attack on children, which we're discussing right now, to the ongoing attack on women. Are we a nation of misogynists? That is the subject explored by Dr. Piper in his most recent column. We'll talk about that next on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Everett Piper continues with us. Dr. Piper, you talk about a nation of misogynists in your most recent column, and uh, the gains of feminists that they have fought for for decades and decades are out the window, and I could not agree more. I don't know why. I've even asked this question on my own show and trying to talk to women and say, where are you? Why are you not stepping up and standing up for all of the gains that uh, that women have made through the decades? And uh, you're watching women be erased from society. Is it misogyny, or is it something more than that? Well, it certainly is misogyny because it's the hatred of women. I mean, how could you have hold anybody in greater disregard than to just tell them they don't exist, that they're not real, that they're not an objective scientific fact, 
I mean, this this is the degradation of what it means to be a human being. It's essentially what the Third Reich did to Jews. It dumbed down Jews to some sort of subhuman discussion. And really, that's what's going on with women right now. Women don't exist as a legal category any longer. That, that's literally true, because a man can walk into your legal space, whether it be your restroom, your shower, your sport, whether it be... Uh, your profession, the man can walk into your legal space and steal it from you by claiming that he is you, that you don't exist as a legal category any longer, well-defined enough to keep him out of your space. But yet the, the feminists are remaining silent on this. you got Riley Gaines. She's, she's being hit, physically assaulted at San Francisco State University, or I think that's what it was, where she was physically assaulted by a man in a dress, and the mainstream media, it's just cricket. And then you've got this Dylan Mulvaney nonsense. He's black-facing women. And, yeah, we finally did have some people rise up and say, well, we're not going to buy Bud Light any longer. Good. We should be doing that at every turn. But you still have feminists out there defending Dylan Mulvaney. That's not pro-woman. That's anti-woman. And then you have this Peyton McNabb uh, young woman from, uh, where is it, Hiawassee Dam High School in Murphy, North Carolina, where she testifies to the state legislature that she suffered a concussion, a neck injury, partial paralysis, and impaired vision, vision because she was playing in a volleyball game against a man pretending to be a woman, a boy pretending to be a girl, and she took a spike in the face, a spike ball in the face, and she suffered this physical damage. And again, nobody's defending her. You don't hear Whoopi Goldberg or Don Lemon or MSNBC or anybody else defending these women. So that's why I'm concluding in my article, Bob, that we're a nation of misogynists right now because we're allowing women to be degraded to the extent that you take everything that's theirs, everything that Title IX granted them. It doesn't exist anymore. Title IX is a joke. You don't have a woman's sport any longer if men can intrude into that sport. You don't have women's scholarships if men can steal those scholarships. We're a nation that hates women. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called The Abolition of Man. Well, he, he, might have, he might have written a second one titled The Abolition of Women, because literally we have abolished women from our national lexicon, from our vocabulary. We now don't even acknowledge that a scientific woman exists any longer. That is an insult. It's cultural appropriation to the extreme. It is men stealing the identity, the dignity, and the actual facilities, scholarship, sports, and whatnot from women. It, this is misogyny to the extreme. Sneak peek to next week's conversation. What about men? Because everything you just said is spot on true, and with the exception, I think, of the sports aspect, because women can't go into men's sports and dominate those and take those spaces away. The trans movement of men to women is not singular. It is plural. There is a plurality, if you will, because there is an even larger movement, I think, in some states of women wanting to transition to becoming men. Uh, we talk about the erasure of women from society. What is it doing to manhood as well? That's something I think we can talk about next week. We're out of time now, uh, but I really look forward to exploring that part of the story. Dr. Everett Piper, keep up the terrific work, my friend. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you next week. Blessings. Take care. 10.30. Guess what? We're going to get a news break. And on the other side, you are going to have a lot of fun because it's the return of the sage. Uh, If I could sing Return of the Mac and put in Larry Elder's name, I would, but I can't. So Larry Elder, the sage from South Central, returns to us not just as former Salem talk show host, but... 
presidential candidate? Yeah, we'll let Larry tell you about that coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Rated PC for politically correct. Pay attention, you just may learn something. It's the Sage, Larry Elder. Larry Elder here, the Sage from South Central, the Prince of Pico Union, the Czar of Common Sense, the Great Elderski, Don Lorenzo. Welcome to the program. No victocrats allowed because we've got a country to save. So let's get her teed up. I miss it so much. I just absolutely love it. There's no greater start to a radio hour, really, than the uh, three hours we heard that at the start of the Larry Elder Show for years and years and years. But Larry Elder did have some uh, bigger ambitions in mind, and uh, what might those be? Uh, so for all those reasons, I was called the black face of white supremacy and a white supremacist in terms of my views. My announcement, Tucker, is that I'm announcing that I'm running for the presidency of the United States on your program. And thank you wow. so much for giving me this honor and this platform. Of course. Uh, my website is elderforpresident.com, elderforpresident.com. Yes, indeed. And uh, how about that? Talk about irony. Neither one of those shows are on the air anymore. Let's welcome the great sage of South Central, Larry Elder, back to AM radio. Larry, good morning, my friend. How are you, sir? I'm great, Bob. It turned out that was uh, Tucker's second to the last show. Neither of us knew, knew that. I know, I know. It's just, it's it's kind of crazy, and we'll talk about that too. But first, congratulations right. to you on the announcement and on your your incredible decision. I know we've talked about this, and you've danced around it and kind of hinted about it for several months now, particularly since the gubernatorial uh, recall in uh, California that you ran for. Um, so you finally pulled the trigger and made the decision, Larry Elder. You know what you're facing. You know what kind of an uphill climb this would be. Um, why have you decided to run for president? Well, you know, my, my father, uh, as you know, Bob, was a Marine. Uh, he served in the Second World War uh, on Guam. My older brother and late older brother, Kirk, uh, was in the Navy. He was a Vietnam-era vet. My little brother, Dennis, was in the Army. He actually went to Vietnam. I didn't serve, and I've never felt good about it. Uh, and I really feel that I want to give back to a country that's been so great to my family and me. You're right, it is a huge sacrifice in energy and time uh, and, and money. And I'm not flush. I'm not Donald Trump, but I feel that I have a moral patriotic and a spiritual obligation to give back to a country that's been so great to me. And a couple of things I want to talk about, uh, you know, we, we all know what the major issues are. The borders are insane. The inflation is, is insane. Uh, the way the, uh, the anti-cop rhetoric has caused crime to go up, the George Soros soft on crime DAs, the fact that we're no longer energy uh, independent, the disastrous pullout from Afghanistan, which I believe encouraged Putin to uh, invade uh, Ukraine and encouraging more aggression on the part of the Chinese. We, these are the issues that we all know, and I think most of the Republican candidates pretty much feel the same way about all those issues. But I think I bring, Bob, a couple of things to the table that the others don't. And one is a full-throated rejection of the notion that America is systemically racist. Democrats uh, put racism on virtually every issue. They do it not just because they believe it. I think some of them actually do believe it. But they want black people to believe it so that blacks are angry, think of themselves as victims and vote in a near monolithic way for the Democratic Party. Without that monolithic black vote, they can't win at the top level, and they know it. The other thing I think I bring to the table uh, is to at least discuss the number one domestic issue facing this country 
that uh, that our side is not talking enough about and the other side doesn't talk at all about, and that is the epidemic of fatherlessness. Forty percent of all American kids now come into the world without a father in the home married to the mother. It is 70 percent in the black community, 50 percent in the Hispanic community, 25 percent in the white community. And I believe what we've done with our welfare state is to incentivize women to marry the government and incentivize men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And we do not talk enough about that uh, and the damage it's doing to our country. No, we definitely do not, uh, Larry. Uh, let me just dovetail off of that last part for a moment. You, of course, made that a big central theme of your show for years and years and years, and you talked about right. the epidemic of fatherlessness and what it did to the black community and what it did overall to the to the American community because of uh, of you know the disparities that exist because of that. So I'll have to ask you then, Joe Biden, guy who, of course, you may be running up against if if things are are, are go well for you, said uh, just uh, what day before yesterday, I guess it was that during the national and state teacher of the year celebration in the rose garden that the kids are not ours quote there is no such yeah. thing as someone else's child no such thing our nation's children are all of our children in other words forget about the fathers which the state has largely done um we're going to raise the kids and we're going to do it through the government-run schools and so forth how do you respond to that mm-hmm. uh it, it, it's scary i mean it's straight out literally straight out of the communist manifesto uh, Karl Marx believed that he wanted to divorce children from their uh, from their parents and wanted them to be raised by the state in state schools. What's also interesting about all of this, Bob, is you look at these people in their own private lives, whether it's the Bidens, the Clintons, or the Obamas. Uh, Biden went to private school. His kids went to private school. Chelsea Clinton, as you know, went to uh, Sidwell Friends, a private school. Uh, Barack Obama himself uh, went to a private school in Hawaii, then goes down to L.A. to a a private school for his first two years in college, finishes up at Columbia, private school, goes to Harvard, private school, uh, and sends uh, the girl, Sasha Malia, to a private elementary school. And then they also went to Sidwell Friends when Obama went to D.C. So they talk the talk about government schools and how good it is for the kids to be educated by these government teachers, but they don't do that in their own private lives. Yeah, uh, the hypocrisy is is thick there. So let's go back to um, the reasons for running. Um, you know, you, you laid it out with your father and certainly wanting to give back to this great country. I get that. You, know, you ran, obviously, got your first taste of what it, uh, what it's like to run for office in that California gubernatorial. Tell me about the challenges. What did you learn there that will help you in this run, which, of course, is even that much more difficult? Well, I learned that <laughs> Mother Teresa, uh, John the Baptist, and Moses could run as a Republican statewide in, in California, and they would lose. <laughs> That's what I learned. Uh, we're, we're outnumbered three to one in terms of registration. Uh, here in California, a person has not won statewide in California in almost 20 years. Um, and when the race was over, Bob, I go to Key West to, to lick my wound, and so many people came up to me, uh, bought me drinks, bought my dinner, which is why I gained 10 pounds. I'm sure you can hear, hear it in my voice. Um, and they asked me to run for president. And, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I said, you know, frankly, it'd be easier for me to be elected president of the United States than to win statewide in California as a Republican. So the more I thought about it, the more I thought I had a lane. And, you know, regarding 45, I know you're going to ask me about that. uh, Republicans are of two minds about him. Uh, There are those who love him, and there are those who love his policies and love what he did as president, but fear that for reasons that are entirely mostly uh, not fair to him, that people will not vote for him in sufficient numbers to beat Joe Biden in November 2024. And if that is your position, you need a candidate who's got the the policies and views you like, uh, but who's got the personality, temperament, and likability uh, that might make people who are moderate Democrats and independents pull the lever for him as opposed to 45. And if you feel that way, I'm your guy.
Well, I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad you phrased it that way, because you are one of the most likable personalities I've ever known. And I, and I, and I mean, known personally, since, since you and I speak, um, but, but that I've seen either. It's almost impossible not to like you, because you are gracious, you are humble, uh, you are strong in, 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 in your conviction and what you believe in, but you do not beat people over the head. So I love all of those things about you. But let's go back to what you said, I have a lane here. What is your lane amongst all of the others who may fit that bill? Um, we have the same policies and the same ideology as Donald Trump, but we don't have all of the unlikables that might make him unelectable in a general election against Joe Biden. Where do you fit in among the potential DeSantis and the Haley and the Ramaswamy and the Tim Scott? Where do you fit in that field? Well, I guess I would put it this way, Bob. Um, I don't look at it like that. I, I look at it like uh, I, I'm auditioning to be president of the United States. And I'm asking people in the center to take a look at me uh, and that I don't have horns, I don't have a tail, uh, and that if you listen to me and listen to my ideas, uh, I think that they are good for the country. And I'm just asking for that. I'm not asking you to compare me to this person or that person or this person. Just do you want somebody who has common sense, a good judgment, and who for 40 years has been talking about issues from a conservative point of view, uh, talking about them, debating them with with, uh, listeners on TV, uh, in my column I've had for uh, almost 30 years, that's that's the kind of person you want. Then take a look at me. Again, I'm your guy. Larry, um, speaking of debating on TV, President Trump has such a massive lead on all of these very early, 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 early polls right now that he actually said on his Truth Social a couple of days ago, why would I debate? Why would I go on, right. on stage and debate these people? The, the, the right. primary is over. I'm the guy. Um, you obviously would need those debates. You need to convince people and show people what you are and, and compare yourself and so forth to the others. Um, what do you make of him saying or essentially hinting anyway that he may not agree to, to, to debate anyone? Well, I wouldn't uh, pretend to give Donald Trump advice on how to handle that. Uh, Strategically, it might even be a smart thing for him to do. I mean, I didn't debate my rivals here when I ran uh, for governor uh, in California. They had several Republican debates. I didn't think it made any sense because the target was was Gavin Newsom. It was a two-part deal, as you know. And first, voters had to vote uh, Gavin Newsom out. And then the second part is whom do you want to replace him? And in my opinion, had we directed our fire towards Gavin Newsom, the first part of the ballot would have uh, passed. You'd be talking to me from Sacramento. So I can understand why Donald Trump feels he's got a record to run on. People know who he is. He's got 100% name recognition. He probably feels he only has things to lose by standing up there next to sharp, articulate people. Uh, and I, and I, could, I could respect that. But I'm not going to do that. I'm certainly going to show up. The first debate is in Milwaukee, and I can't wait. Uh, we're talking with the great sage of South Central, Larry Elder. Uh, Larry Elder is now a candidate for president. You need to visit his uh, webpage, Elder for President, and you need to support him. Larry, um, some might say that the the real the real lane for you here is to expand your brand a little bit, uh, let people know how likable you are, how sensible, how how strong your policies are, and so forth. And that might line you up for a nice VP slot. Is there any thought to that at all? No, I'm running for president. Again, I'm running against Biden-Harris. Uh, if the ball lands that way and if somebody else becomes a nominee and that person calls me and asks me to be his or her running mate, uh, I will answer the call. But that's not my goal. And, you know, regarding all these predictions that Donald Trump has this thing uh, in, in the bag, uh, did anybody really believe that Donald Trump would get the nomination in 2016? I certainly did not no. at first. Did anybody believe Biden would get the nomination in 2020? I certainly did not. Um, there's a guy that ran unsuccessfully for governor of California and then ran and became a twice elected president. His name is Richard Nixon. Uh, uh, and regarding my background for crying out loud, as I said earlier, I've been doing uh, these issues, talking about them for 40 years. I ran for 
Uh, if California were a separate country, Bob, it would be the fourth largest uh, country in the world. Uh, and unlike AOC, I wasn't a bartender before I entered <laughs> politics. So, <laughs> thank heavens! Don't, don't tell me! Don't tell me you're not qualified, <laughs> uh, Larry. What would let's talk about Joe Biden since you said that's who you're really running against here is Biden and Harris, mm-hmm. and, and you're exactly right. He he released that three minute video uh, on Monday. Uh, at like six o'clock in the morning, when very few people would see it, he would not make his announcement of his reelection before a crowd or before a, right. a, a press conference, a pool of reporters, because then he might actually have to, you know, uh, respond. Um, in that three-minute video, Larry, not one single accomplishment was listed. I was, you know, if you're running for re-election, you're basically saying, "Look at what a great job I've done for two and a half years thus far. Re-elect me. Here are the great things we've done." Larry, there was not one. I combed through it again and again. There were platitudes about freedom and the soul of the nation right. and democracy. There were attacks on quote extremist MAGA Republicans, but there was nothing there that said, "Look what we've done in two uh, two and a half years. Therefore, re-elect us." What does that say? Uh, it says that. Biden's job, the reason they wanted Biden to be the nominee is because they thought that uh, he would be able to defeat Donald Trump. That was his accomplishment, and that's all his accomplishment is. And right now, his uh, biggest argument is, I'm not Donald Trump. He can't win on the economy. He can't win on gas prices. He can't win on inflation. He can't win on foreign policy. I think the only issues where he's above water are climate change uh, and abortion. Uh, Outside of that, uh, most Democrats don't even want him to run again. However, I'm not Trump. However, I'm not a MAGA Republican. That's all he's got. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So when, when you look at what some of the things he's done, what, what would you say is the biggest um, uh, uh, challenge, I guess, that this nation faces based on what Biden has done? I mean, is it the education crisis? Is it the energy crisis and the war on fossil fuels and this somehow belief that we can build enough windmills and solar panels to power the country, including our semi-tractor trailers and so on and so forth uh is it um is it the drug over uh, epidemic the crime epidemic can you pinpoint the biggest challenge we face that uh that has gotten worse under joe biden you, you sound like you wrote my speech uh it's all it's all of the things you said and i would also add however we have five million illegal aliens in this country uh that was not the case two and a half years ago some number of them are, are on a terror watch list we know we've apprehended several on it but several have gotten through that clearly have been on the terror watch list uh, which has also caused the fentanyl crisis. It's the number one killer of young people uh, today right now. So it's all of that. And I think the way he pressured states into locking down because of COVID, the kids already were near the bottom of all the uh, uh, Western and Asian countries we compete against uh, in terms of reading and math. And now they've lost a whole another year of in-school education, which translates into lost earnings over their lifetime. Uh, it's all the spending that he's done. Uh, in, uh, you know, the, the war on oil and gas, as you pointed out, at one time, Gas prices were twice what they were when Trump uh, was elected, when Trump left office, and now they're about 50 percent higher. So it's all those things. This guy has been an absolute total disaster. Uh, it's a target-rich environment for anybody running against him. Larry Elder, last uh, thing for you here. Um, and by the way, I'm looking at your website, and I'm looking at your priorities, and for people who want to know what your, your stance is on all these things, crime, school choice, racial harmony, crushing inflation, economic growth, restoring cities, so on and so forth, China, foreign policy, it's all there at elderforamerica.com, or I'm sorry, elderforpresident.com, beg your pardon. Um, but but at the very top, of course, is chip in today. You need donations. You need support. Some have right. speculated it's going to take a billion dollars for a candidate to win the presidency in 2024. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it's going to be close, I suppose. Um, that's a big, big number, and those are some expensive neighborhoods in which to play. Are you going to be able to handle that? Yes, yeah. and.
And uh, both sides spent about a billion each, I think, the last election cycle. And that's all the money that's spent, independent expenditures as well. That's pretty much how much both parties are going to spend uh, in order to, uh, to win. I think the Democrats outspent Republicans last time around. But generally speaking, we're talking about a billion uh, on, on, on either side. By the way, you didn't ask me what my first action would be when I become president. I'm going to sign an executive order, Bob, restoring the name Cleveland Indians. <laughs> I love that. I hope you do. Oh, my goodness. I haven't been able to watch it since they did it, since they caved in. And by the way, you may or may not have noticed what happened in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, the minor league team there, the Indianapolis Indians, released a statement this past last month that said, we will remain the Indians. And as a matter of fact, we have a signed agreement with uh, some local tribes or whatever that tell us how much they love that name. The Indianapolis Indians stood fast and stood up for their, their history and their little heritage there. The Cleveland Indians caved like the, the woke cowards that uh, right. like, like woke cowards do i'll phrase it that way and, and bob i read or, or saw a documentary about why the indians were called the indians and it was to honor the first native american uh, player in the major league his name was sokalexis yeah louis sokalexis you're exactly yeah. right i mean my god and and, and uh and they still caved uh, how insulting to to his memory yeah, no question about it. It's And it's so frustrating for so many of us who still wear Chief Wahoo on our chests if we go to any games. I haven't gone to games since then, but for those who do, I love seeing the support that they continue to throw. I want people to support Larry Elder. Larry, uh, I, you know, the fact that we have a friendship and the fact that we've been colleagues uh, is notwithstanding here. I love who you are. I love what you stand for. You speak so much common sense to so many people. I want to help you, and I want people to help you. Go to elderforpresident.com. Chip in whatever you can chip into this campaign. It's going to take an awful lot, obviously, for a political outsider to come in. You're not the only outsider, too, with Vivek Ramaswamy being there, and you know, and some others who have talked about but, this too. So, yeah, but it, but it, I'm the only but I'm the only black face of white supremacy in the race. So I got that. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I absolutely love that. They actually did that to you. Larry, yeah, uh, thank did. you for coming on. Thank you for doing what you're doing and for shining a spotlight on these very, very important issues and maybe being the guy uh, that, that can actually be the answer to the questions that we all have about how to save this country. Uh, we've well, got God a country you, to Bob. save. As you've been your, it's been your slogan on radio for years. It's a perfect campaign slogan for the Elder Campaign. We've got a country to save. Larry Elder, thank you, my friend. Good luck to you. God bless you. Appreciate God, it. God bless you as well. That's Larry Elder joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll take our time out here at 1053, and let me ask you, oh, and I really wish I would have had more time to ask Larry Elder about Tucker, because he was, of course, as you said, uh, you know, he made that announcement on the Tucker second-to-last show uh, to see how he felt about what happened to Tucker. But at any rate, um, how do you feel about that? Would you consider Larry Elder for president? If you're already in team or Camp Trump, or if you like DeSantis, even though he's not a declared candidate, or if you like, uh, I really love what I've heard so far from Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, Nikki Haley is there. I'm not a fan at all. Tim Scott is there. I am a fan of Tim Scott. Where does Larry Elder slide into that uh, pool for you? I'm curious. Would you consider him? I absolutely would and will. I promise you that. Uh, 1053, back after this. Always Right Radio.
So we've covered a lot of ground in the first two hours of the program. The next hour is guest-free, so this is a great opportunity for you to respond to some of those things at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. The transing of Gen Z is a full-on mission uh, by people looking to break up and destroy the American family, to separate kids from their parents, to create that division. It's exactly what critical theory does, whether it be on race or gender or anything else. And it is being fully endorsed by the government school associations. It is fully endorsed by the left-wing federal government. And it is something that it, we are going to have to figure out a, a way to address. We've been talking about this for a very long time now. But we uh, had some very specific stories that we told in the first hour. If you want to respond to those, we'd love to hear from you. Larry Elder is running for president. Uh, that uh, conversation just ended. If you missed that one, that's your fault. You should have been listening <laughs> to the entire show uh, because we just had a great conversation with Larry Elder for president. He said he has a lane. He has a lane to the presidency. Do you agree? Is it a lane you would uh, you would like to watch him explore, and will you support him? Will you donate money to Larry Elder? Uh, I love Larry not just because he's a former Salem host. I love Larry because I love what he stands for. And I will absolutely give him super, super strong consideration uh, to lead this country. I want to know if you agree. Some of the things we've talked about thus far this morning, I welcome your thoughts in hour number three coming up, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Let's do this. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. Uh, my oh my, it's been a busy day thus far. And we're going to wrap it with some great phone calls. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Somebody called us off the air and told Marcy, or is it Marcy or Marianne? Uh, who's answering? Marcy on the phone today. Told Marcy that today is Larry Elder's birthday. I didn't know. Why didn't somebody call me and tell me that before the sage came on? Otherwise, I would have given him a very happy birthday. Can you dig it? One of those. Yeah, I did not know. I did not know. I feel bad about that. Happy birthday, belatedly, Larry Elder. If you're still listening to the show online, maybe from California, uh, happy birthday to you. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. I love his attitude. I love his um, energy, um, and and I love his his fearlessness to take on those who, like he said, call him the the black face of white supremacy. <laughs> you see, because he is not quote down with the cause of CRT 
and a belief in America as a systemically racist country that's holding the black man down again, uh, you know, by those oppressive white devils. Because he's not one of those, well, they say he can't be a true black man. He's a black face of white supremacy. It's unbelievable. And he takes that stuff with humor, and he responds with humor. I would take it probably a lot harder. I would be much more... Uh, aggressive in my responses because I'm just, you know, a little bit of a hothead. And uh, and I got to tell you, I love the fact that he takes those things and responds intellectually, not emotionally. That's a big difference. That's a big key. That's what separates people who can run for office from those who can't. Uh, people who have asked me if I've ever explored running for office on a number of occasions, I've always said, nope, because you get me on the wrong stage or with the wrong interviewer or hearing the wrong thing or reading the wrong op-ed about me or whatever, I'm coming back with both barrels. That's what I'm doing, and that's probably not going to serve me well, nor my constituents. But Larry knows how to do that so so effectively. So happy birthday to Larry Elder, and he is just one of the uh, things we can talk about. I want to share something before I go back to the phones. <clears throat> For uh, from the first hour, because I did this in the first hour of the show, and obviously not everybody listens for all three hours. So if you just turned us on since then, I want to share with you a letter that just struck me very, very hard as it pertains to the uh, the trans issue uh, and the transing of Gen Z. That is uh, uh, that is the ongoing mission of of those in that LGBTQ community and those in the political supportive class of the, of of that community. Um. Zuby is the name of a rapper in uh, in the UK. He is a very very popular Twitter presence. Okay, <clears throat> he uh, has a million followers. That lets you know how popular he is. And he's not popular there, or not as much popular there, because of his rapping. I'm sure that's a big part of it. I'm not a fan of his music because I don't think I can name a song. But he's not just a rapper; he's also an author. He is a public speaker. He is a life coach. And he's the host of a podcast, and he is an extremely outspoken anti-trans of trans movement uh, in this country, and quite frankly, in his country, the UK, in the UK as well. So he he posted on his Twitter feed just a, a couple of days ago on the twenty fifth um, something that just struck me. It was very moving to me, and I think it'll be moving to you too. And I think it'll really kind of underscore what's really happening here. This isn't some sort of uh, mass delusion that's happening where scores and scores and scores of young people are realizing they were born in the wrong body um, this isn't this isn't a, a huge wave of gender dysphoria gender dysphoria is very 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 rare it's kind of like um, multiple personality disorder or split personality disorder um, it's a psychological condition that afflicts very, very, very few people. The idea that all of these people are truly gender dysphoric and believe they're in the wrong body and that they have this very, very rare condition is just impossible. What's really happening is that there is a social contagion, there is an influencing, there is a grooming that is going on that is pulling today's young people in Generation Z into this bizarre lifestyle. And the letter that Zuby put on his Twitter feed is an example of it that I just find to be, like I said, gripping and sad and disturbing. So Zuby tweeted the following, and I quote, This is a message I received from a follower today. Must read for parents. You have no idea how deep the trans community preyed on children throughout the pandemic. I am dealing with it firsthand. 
our daughter playing what I thought was a kid's game, Roblox, that was filled with child predators. We pulled her away from it when she mentioned non-binary. She's okay now. Our son ventured around our account restrictions and onto Reddit. As he fell into deep depression from the lockdowns, he then fell even deeper into the Reddit trans activist community, or as I call it, the child predator community. Our best efforts to get him out of this for almost three years has led to the deterioration of our relationship. He thinks he's a trans girl now, named blank. And he will no longer speak to us because we rightfully won't put him on hormones. After he referred to me as a Nazi last week in support of trans genocide, I find it impossible to even communicate with him. They have him. Please keep doing what you're doing. You may save somebody's kid from this situation. I have no idea what to do with a remarkably bright kid who once had realistic ambitions of being an astrophysicist. His name is blank, and I love him. End quote. That letter was sent to Zuby. Zuby shared it with everybody else on his face or in his uh, social media account on Twitter. <clears throat> and I said in the first hour, and what I'll say again now, the three words that just really reach out to me and grab me by the throat are, they have him. They have him. Those are the words that parents would, would have said, you know, in, in, in recent decades of a cult. A cult movement. They got him. They pulled him in. They sucked him in. They've taken everything he owns, and they control his life now. He is not himself. He's been brainwashed into thinking he's something different than what he is and what he was raised as. Cults do that. Cults have done that throughout history. But specifically in, you know, in the modern age, in the last several decades, that five decades plus that I've been alive, Cults are notorious for doing that. And parents talk about how they took their kids from them with their beliefs, with their indoctrination. And in this case, with their grooming. They have him, this parent wrote to Zuby. They have my son. And my son is no longer what he once was, and we have no relationship with him anymore. He now thinks he's a female and will not speak to us, calls us Nazis for refusing to give him hormones. They have him. That is what this movement is doing to people. It is destroying not just the young Generation Z, gullible, uh, preformative thinkers into, into becoming this. They're not just destroying the kids. They're destroying the kids' families, which is a part of the effort. Okay, uh, if you want to respond to that, I, I really welcome other thoughts on this because I can't kind of I can't just stay in my own head about that. It's just they have him grabbed me. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. TJ is in uh, Cleveland. Hi, TJ, you're up first. Yeah, you know, Bob. Two news releases today ought to chill Americans to their bones. The Chinese are sending an envoy to the Ukraine to broker a peace agreement, and I suspect they're going to be successful. And if they are, I guarantee, just like France, the rest of Europe is going to start putting their eggs in the Chinese basket because America has lost all credibility in the world. And the only other, uh, the other news thing, the Iranians commandeered an oil tanker heading for Houston. And it's easy to see what's going on here. Uh, 
since the left has destroyed our energy independence, now we're at the mercy of having oil shipped into this country. They can easily starve us of our oil. And the only answer the left will come up with of all of this is buy an electric car. Buy an electric car. We're in big trouble. China's winning. You know, the left is all glee about they think they're winning. They, we won. The game's over. We won the midterms. Well, the game's over in the world with the left, and China is winning. And I don't know how we're going to survive this with this present administration. And half the people in this country that won't get their head out of their behinds to see what the hell is going on in the world. Well, I'll tell you what, TJ. Thank you, my friend, for the call. I appreciate those uh, those stories. Um, president administration needs to be removed from power as soon as humanly possible. That's the point. And as soon as we can do it, of course, is a year and a half from now. So we've got a lot of water to tread until then. As far as what to do about China and what to do about the fact that we are indeed being starved of our energy, which is being done, as you point out correctly, by the Biden administration, I play those clips all the time. This was their plan. This was his promise. And true to his word, believe it or not, Joe Biden, who's a pathological liar, is told the truth about his plan to destroy fossil fuels and the fossil fuel industry, fossil fuel industry, because he is making great, great headway in that regard. Um, as far as what to do, uh, that's a very good question. We are all going to have to do something that the government will not do, and that is we're going to have to manage our budgets. They won't manage their own. They just raise the debt increase. It's like maxing out every credit card you own and then calling up Visa, calling up MasterCard, calling up American Express and saying, please raise my credit limit. I want to borrow more. I can't pay what I already owe, but I want to borrow more. But that's what we're going to have to do is manage our budgets and find a way to pay for the higher cost of our gasoline because you're right. They're holding it hostage. And they're interrupting tankers and, uh, and intercepting tankers, I should say, from bringing oil. We shouldn't need it at all. Uh, and as far as China's influence, I completely agree. That's one of the elements, by the way, that uh, Larry covers on his priorities on his website, Larry Elder. Uh, LarryElder.com, also ElderForPresident.com. He's got an entire segment on containing China and what his beliefs are there. So I would encourage people to read that. Um, let's go to uh, Richfield. Derek, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Derek, go right ahead, sir. Hey, thank you, Bob. Uh, yes, so while I was on hold just now, I was uh, behind a car that had a license plate uh, that just said affirm, affirm, and obviously we know what that means, but yes, you're do. right, it is cult-like, yes, yeah, just, it's cult-like, it just um, destroys the analytical part of the mind, but, um, you know, I called about uh, about Larry Elder, and uh, just, uh, but just the other week, I think I heard Carl Jackson announce um, that he decided to run, and I said to my wife, yeah, that that would be great, I would love Larry Elder um, to get obviously to be uh, get elected as president um you know he's 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 likable he's energetic he's funny and i always thought you know his evening um his evening radio show and out of all of salem and you know everyone's different but you know his to me stood out as i don't know being the most fun of all of them and then you capture it by you know playing his you know his opening um you know the opening for his show there mm-hmm. but yeah he would he would be a fantastic choice you know, I um, I host the Sebastian Gorka show from time to time. In fact, I'm doing that tomorrow. Uh, I host Dennis Prager's show, and I used to host Larry Elder's show. And I agree with you. There's no disrespect to any of the other shows that I do. But like you said, everybody has a different style, has a different flair. And I enjoyed Larry's because the same mood that he set on his show – I tried to pick up and carry when I would host for him, and I did. I had fun. I had so much fun. Uh, his listeners were terrific, and it's it's not as if it was so 
lighthearted and empty, and that, you know, we're just having fun, we're not taking things seriously, he managed right. to make it entertaining and fun while also addressing the crucial things. That's why his, his uh, you know, his slogan was, we've got a country to save, uh, to, to do what needs to be done to save this country. He always brought the facts, but he also brought it in a lighthearted way that was really enjoyable, too. And i got to tell you, you know, that will stand in stark contrast to President Trump. As, as great as President Trump was during his first term or during his term, uh, and as, you know, the wonderful accomplishments, it was very joyless because it was constant scowling and constant, you know, uh, rough statements that people had to defend and, you know, and attacks and so forth. And, um, you know, it would be, it'll stand in stark contrast if they do indeed end up on a debate stage together, the, the persona that you get from President Trump versus somebody like Larry Elder. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And, um, yeah, no matter who who gets it, we just need who's going to be able to stop these communists. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Well, that's something, and, and, and thank you, my friend, for the call, Derek. I appreciate it. Um, that's something that I've said a few different times as we get into the attacks that are being made by candidates, almost all of them thus far from Trump to DeSantis, but regardless of where you stand, if you are for Trump at this point in time or you are not there yet, you better be prepared to support him. You better be prepared to support the eventual nominee, even if it's not your first choice. Because that's where I sit. I've got, I've got a first choice. I've got a second choice, a third choice, at least in my head in April of 2023. I've got some ideas, but none of them are going to keep me hard and fast away from supporting whoever wins this thing. I will support whoever wins this thing. I'll put aside the things that I dislike about them in order to support and promote the things I do like about them. And I think that uh, is something that every Republican better, you know, you better uh, prepare yourself for that. You better convince yourself that that is the best way to go because we absolutely must stop. I used this phrase back in 2016. I'll use it again. We have to build a wall, all right, not just the one on the southern border, but a wall that separates people like the Democrats, the current Marxists from the White House. That's what we have to do. Quick time out. Right back on Always Right Radio. Eleven twenty-eight. Let's get another call in before the bottom of the hour. We will have time. If you don't get on now, we will get you on after the bottom of the hour break. So stay there. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. John in Chardon is next. Hi, John. Go ahead. Hey, morning, Bob. Good morning. Yeah, I. You know, I was wondering if you'd play that Larry Elder two and a half minute segment that he that he did because there's a lot of listeners, you know, that may not have tuned in. Plus, my wife was out on the porch, and I'm listening to it, and I was just riveted by it. So I, I couldn't leave and go get her. And was there was there one? Hey, John. Hey, Johnny. I had him on for like uh, 15, 18, 20 minutes, something like that. Which two and a half minutes were you talking about? Was it that long? Yeah, you talking about you you talking about the whole interview with Larry Elder? Well, the one you played this morning. No, oh, I'm, you're talking about Tucker. You're talking about Tucker Carlson. Yes, Tucker. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, my gosh. gotcha. Yeah, I'm sorry yeah, about that. yeah. We mixed those two things up there because Larry announced, ironically, Larry announced his uh, candidacy for president on Tucker's show on his second to last show last week. So that's maybe that's why you got confused. So you would like to okay. hear again the two and a half minutes that Tucker Carlson delivered? Yes. 
Got it. Tell you what, I'll, I'll grant that request. Yeah, John, no problem. I will grant that request right after the bottom of the hour news. Thank you for the call. Keep listening. We'll take our time out here at the bottom, and I'll come back and deliver that on the other side. Tucker Carlson did break his silence for the first time since his um, uh, since his uh, ouster from Fox, and he uh, delivered a two-and-a-half-minute message yesterday, last night. It was on his webpage and on his social media. I will share it with everyone coming up right after this on AM 1420, The Answer. Against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, it's 11.35. We just had a request from uh, John who called from Shard to say, I missed, or I think he said his wife missed, the Tucker Carlson statement. So Tucker uh, broke his silence uh, last night. He released this video. Two and a half minutes, uh, two, two minutes, 15 seconds to be more precise. Um, first comments he's made since he was ousted by Fox. And uh, what it means is up to interpretation. I give you my interpretation in the first half hour, or, yeah, first half hour of the broadcast. Uh, but you can make up your own mind. Here we go. Good evening. It's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's got to be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink, and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so that's the uh, that's the uh, video in its entirety, or the audio in its entirety. And um, 
as I said, it's open to your own interpretation, but here's mine. He was clearly talking in the last 30 seconds or so about himself and about his, his uh, bosses at Fox and how they will not win. When he said, the people in charge know this, that's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. That's the bosses. Then he said, when honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. That's him. That's what Tucker means. He became too powerful for the bosses because speaking the truth calmly and without embarrassment, which he did every night, that was a real threat to the, you know, the establishment bosses that he's referring to. The ones who don't want uh, him or others or anybody else to be talking about the topics that aren't supposed to be talked about. About war. About the truth about science. About demographic change. All of the things that Tucker made a hallmark of his programs. Uh, they didn't want him to talk about it. And he did. And he got more ratings and more viewers and more people influenced than anybody else in America in the media. That's why he said, when people say those things, they become powerful. And then he said, at the same time, the liars who have been trying to silence them shrink and become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. So where can you find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. In other words, I will be bringing those words of truth back. Yeah, I, I can't tell you where right now, but I'll see you soon. And I think that's a very uplifting message from Tucker Carlson. That is what I heard. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Sally is in Berea up next. Hi, Sally, go ahead. Hi, Bob. I Hi, think so. that the transgender movement has, has gained headway headway because our culture is valuing tolerance more than Judeo Christian values. This includes churches, companies, and people who are afraid to say something that might offend another person. Tolerance left the room a long time ago, Sally. That used to be the goal of the, of the movement, the LGBTQ movement, used to be about tolerance, and the, and the left even too, tolerance. It left the room a long time ago. Tolerance is an old, antiquated idea. Now it's more than tolerance. It is celebration. You have to celebrate those things that they tell you to. And if you don't, you are the one who is going to be on the chopping block, whether it be socially, whether it be on platforms, whether it be at work, whether it be at school. You have to celebrate the things that they want you to, even if you don't like them, even if you don't agree with them, even if you find them to be dangerous. Tolerance is no longer even a... If you just tolerate the existence of this this massive trans movement, you're you're done. You're screwed. You have to do more than that. You have to cheerlead for it. That's the That's the reality. My point was just that people are afraid to say anything that would offend someone, and that gives them uh, ammunition to uh, persecute people, as, as you mentioned. Sure does. Sure does. 100%. They'll persecute you in every element of your life. Like I said, if you're a student, they'll persecute you at your school. They'll, they'll suspend or they'll, uh, you know, they'll ostracize you. They'll persecute you on the job. They'll persecute you on social media. They'll kick you off of those places. 100%, Sally, that you, people are afraid to speak up. That's what they're doing. It is, they've created a culture of fear and intimidation. And that if you don't celebrate, like I said, celebrate those things that they tell you must be celebrated, they will end you, uh, in, 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 in all, in, in every, fashion that they can and that is a very very dangerous thing indeed 
Sally, thank you for the call. I appreciate that. Um, let's go to uh, I, Billy in Idaho. Is that right? Billy in Idaho on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Billy, go ahead. Hey, Bob. First off, I want to tell you that uh, I'm a former Ashtabula County resident, even though I'm originally from Idaho. I just I left your neck of the woods just to come back home, but I I don't miss the weather out there, the wintertime in particular, but I do miss the community. It, 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 it was absolutely great. And, well, uh, I like to hear that. Week. I'm glad. I'm glad you love yeah. the community of Ashtabula. But wait a minute, what are you talking about weather? I can't imagine it's balmy in Idaho in the wintertime, is it? <laughs> well, I live uh, right there off the, off of the shores of Lake Erie, and uh, we don't. I don't miss those uh, storm uh, those snowstorms coming. Okay, in snow. Off yeah, there. snow belt. Yeah, snow belt. Okay, I agree with you there. Snow belt living off of the lake. Yeah, that's a very good point. I understand it. What's on your mind today, yeah. my friend? Well, just uh, recently, I'm, I'm sure you know who Ammon Bundy is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, he is under the worst scrutiny because uh, from our local hospital. They're called St. Luke's out here. Um, it's where many of my family members were born, uh, but St. Luke's falls into the agenda. Um, Idaho recently passed a law to where... Uh, they did uh, what do you call the uh, sur- surgeries for, for minors for sex changes and things like that? Yeah, the you trans know, surgeries. Yeah. Here, yeah, it's illegal here in Idaho, but the local hospital here, St. Luke's, is still offering it. Well, so they're just breaking well, the law. Uh, they're just violating Idaho yeah. law. You're saying? Yeah, and they don't care because because they have they're very rich and have have a massive. Uh, massive attorneys behind them this is unfortunately my friend not new i have seen that and i'm of gonna course. have to let you go there because our show is over call me back tomorrow and we can address this in more depth but sadly there are medical institutions that are ignoring the laws and performing these surgeries on minors even where they are not permitted so i'll have to let it go there thank you my friend i appreciate it thanks to everyone we'll see you tomorrow bye-bye Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.